You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Salaman, let's meet The Firsts. I want to welcome you all back, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. It's good to be back, to be living these moments once again and to be discussing the lives of those people that we often read about and we hear in the narrations, we hear their names in the khutbahs, we hear their stories in you know, these separated fashions, but at the same time, we don't get a chance often to really place ourselves in that blessed environment around our beloved Prophet and those noble men and women that stood by him in his most difficult times. Before I start, Tonight, I, I do want to, subhanAllah, mention, you know, we lost a very special person this morning, Brother Nidal Hamad, rahimahullah ta'ala, a very good brother, a brother that was known to us, uh, was actually praying Isha in the masjid last night, was a regular in the masjid at Epic, and has a blessed family, and in fact, uh, his sons would attend this halakha quite regularly. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy upon him and to be pleased with him. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to care for his family and to grant them the reward as well. So please keep him in your du'a, inshallah ta'ala. Another brother that I want to mention is someone, uh, one of my father's closest friends, uh, well known to the community in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, Dr. Rashid Azam Abu Amr, who is uh, living out his last moments in hospice right now. Please ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant him husn al-khitam, grant him a good ending with la ilaha illallah on his tongue and in his heart, and to enter him into Jannat al-Firdaus. Allahumma ameen and make dua for all of those ailing brothers and sisters wherever they are and all of the oppressed brothers and sisters wherever they are. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, as we get into the story of the Ansar and the Ansar represent this love story that is continuing until today because if you don't love the Ansar then you have a problem with your Iman, you have a problem with your faith as we'll see from the words of the Prophet but to start off with the story of the Ansar, I want us to go to the darkest moment in the life of the Prophet It's the moments after Khadija anha has passed away. His beloved wife who would care for him, who would take care of him, who would comfort him when he received the revelation and when he received persecution for his insistence upon the revelation. And he loses Abu Talib who protected him in some of his most difficult moments. And now he goes to Ta'if, thinking that maybe, just maybe, there are people that will take him in. And the Prophet ﷺ is met with the worst forms of humiliation that a human being can be met with. He is cursed, he is mocked, he is kicked, he is punched, he is spit at wasallam. He is made to walk between the narrow lines of children and what were called the sufaha, the thugs of Ta'if, as they did all that they wanted to do with him. 
and the Prophet ﷺ finds himself in a place where he doesn't even know anymore. He doesn't even recognize where he is after miles and miles of this humiliation, covered in blood, the stones in his shoes, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he calls out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a predicament. And the essence of that predicament is twofold. Number one, ila man takiruni. Where do I go from here? Who are you leaving me to? Who's going to take me in at this point? I don't know where to go. My family has rejected me. My people have rejected me. And the strangers are no better to me. Where do I go at this point, Ya Allah? The spiritual component of this is, let this not be a manifestation of your anger, O Allah. As long as this is not your anger with me, this hardship that I'm facing is not a manifestation of your anger, then I will be patient. So that's the spiritual component, but the very real predicament of who is going to take me in at this point? I can't think of who's coming. And subhanAllah, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having let the Prophet experience this unprecedented cruelty at the hands of these people before he experiences this unprecedented love from another group of people. You see, the Prophet had a dream and he saw in that dream, in his difficult moments, a place of greenery and the landscape of Ta'if resembles Medina greatly. Ta'if was a place of royals. Ta'if was a place of leaders. Ta'if was a place of proud people. Medina, at that time Yathrib, was a place of a bunch of children, of chiefs who had all killed each other off. A place that didn't seem to offer any hope and it was much farther away from Mecca than Ta'if. So the Prophet thought from that dream, let me go to Ta'if. How many of you have been to Ta'if? Raise your hands. How many of you have been to Medina? Raise your hands. SubhanAllah, if only Ta'if took him in, right? If only Ta'if took him in. Ta'if now is of course the civilization of Muslims too that only a few people will go and visit. Either for its historical you know, significance or you know, because of something else. Whereas Medina is one of the most regularly visited cities in the world. The Prophet ﷺ went to Ta'if first and that was his Usr. And then the Prophet ﷺ went to Yathrib and that was his Yusr. He went to Ta'if, that was his Usr, that was hardship, the greatest hardship. And then he would go to Yathrib al-Madina, which would of course be named al-Madina, and he would find ease, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so after Ta'if, it's the days of Hajj. And I want you to actually picture the scene, because it's actually, this scene gives me goosebumps. There are a lot of scenes in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ that give me goosebumps. But you know if you're watching like a really good movie and they show you the makings of something, and it's like this, this very ordinary exchange that's going to lead to something extraordinary. It's the 11th year after the Prophet ﷺ has received revelation. Mecca really thinks that this is over, that the Prophet ﷺ is in his last days of this da'wah. He's really not going anywhere. We've cut off all the pathways for him at this point. Where's he going to go? And so here he is, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and it's the days of hajj, the hajj of the days of ignorance, of course. And the Prophet ﷺ is walking, and who does he have with him? Does anyone know who the two people with him are? Abu Bakr, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, 
and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The first man to embrace Islam, the first boy to embrace Islam. With the Prophet and the Prophet goes to these tribes. And I want you to think about it. All these people that are coming from around the world. Excuse me, I have something to say to you. Marhaban, can I talk to you for a bit? Some tribes ignore him altogether. Other leaders will, out of courtesy, listen to him for a few moments and then move on. And some will try to make unreasonable conditions. But just like every single year past, the Prophet is facing rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. Then he sees these six young men. And they don't even have a senior amongst them. They're six youth. And they're from that really disturbed place in the middle of nowhere known as Yathrib. Now, the advice of others would have been, don't even waste your time. Why even go talk to those guys? They're not going to be able to give you anything. Even if you convert them, what are they going to give you? They have their own problems to deal with. They have nothing they can offer you. They have nothing they can offer you. But our Prophet ﷺ never looks past people. So he goes to them, these six men, and it's in Mina, and he has Abu Bakr, and he has Ali, these six men, As'ad ibn Zurara, Awf ibn Harith, Rafi' ibn Malik, Qutbah ibn Amr, Uqba ibn Amr, and Jabir ibn Abdullah. By the way, this is a different Jabir ibn Abdullah than the famous one. This is Jabir ibn Abdullah ibn Riyab, uh, who doesn't, who's not well known in the seerah. But six men, six young men. And the Prophet ﷺ calls out to them and says, will you sit down and listen to what I have to say? And they're not proud men. They say, of course. So they sit down. And the Prophet ﷺ Starts off with khutbat al-haja, inna alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruhu wa nastahdi, or something of that variation as the narration suggests. Praises Allah that we believe in one God, we beseech Him, we seek His help, we seek His guidance, and He bears witness to the oneness of Allah, and that He is the final messenger of Allah. While the Prophet ﷺ is talking to these six men, the Prophet ﷺ asks them about themselves and says, where are you from? We're from Yathrib. He says, oh, so you are the allies of the, Jew, the, the Jewish tribes. The allies of the Jewish tribes. Why? Because some prominent Jewish tribes had now settled in Yathrib. They said yes. So as the Prophet ﷺ is talking to them and he's gauging the way the message is resonating with them, they look at each other and they say that, you know, those Jewish tribes have been talking about a prophet that is to come. And everything that you're saying seems to line up with them. They are familiar with the spirit of the Abrahamic way. They're familiar with the concept of Tawheed, of the oneness of God, monotheism, and the hereafter, because they've heard it from those Jewish tribes that just settled. And As'ad ibn Zurara looks to them and he says, why don't we precede them in this good and embrace this prophet first? Now, it seems like this is great, but pretty inconsequential, right? But then they go back and they bring another six with them. And they meet the Prophet ﷺ, and Ubadat ibn Samit says, the Prophet ﷺ said, Bayi'uni, give me your allegiance. Now, what did the Prophet ﷺ take allegiance from them in regards to? Allah tushriku billahi shay'a, that you will not associate with God a partner. 
وَلَا تَسْرِقُوا that you will not steal any longer وَلَا تَزْنُوا that you will not commit adultery or fornication وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَوْلَادَكُمْ that you will not kill your children that you will not accuse the innocent that you will not be disobedient when you are ordered to do a good deed SubhanAllah, this is the, the essence of Islam that the Prophet ﷺ is giving to them the commandments, the high-level commandments فَبَايَعْنَاهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ these 12 men, they take that pledge with the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ calls who to send with them? I hope someone knows this. Mus'ab ibn Umair. Mus'ab, go with them to Yathrib, teach them the religion, and come back next year. <laughs> Mus'ab who goes to Yathrib, and the other Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the famous one, Jabir ibn Abdullah ibn Amr, who we will have a very extensive biography on, he says that within a year, every single household in that city had learned the religion and believed in the Prophet All of us were ready for him. So another group comes the next year in Hajj. This time, 73 people come to the Prophet to meet him and to take this pledge with him. So they have to secretly plan this meeting because if Mecca finds out that this large group of 73 is here to meet the Prophet then that's going to be a problem. So they have to sort it out. So they wait for the middle of Tashriq after the 11th day of Hajj and they meet in this place right behind the Jamarat which today is Masjid Al-Aqaba. You can actually still see it marked and they gather with the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ is with his uncle Al-Abbas. Al-Abbas looks at them and he takes the Prophet ﷺ to the side like, are you sure you want to do this? They're a bunch of kids. Young people from this place. Everything is scattered. And Al-Abbas is saying to them, listen, if you guys aren't up for the task and you want to turn around and forget about this, it's okay, we can handle him. We're his family, we've got him covered. Al-Abbas felt a moment of pride like, Am I really giving up my nephew to these people? And they insisted that we will take him in and we will support him and we will aid him. And they say to the Prophet As'ad ibn Zurara standing up, Abdullah ibn Rawaha standing up, O Messenger of God, by taking you in, we're going to have all sorts of new enemies. The people that we have these fragile alliances with, those alliances will be broken. People will come after us. People of Mecca are going to come after us. The Persians will come after us. We're going to get attacked from all sides, right? We're going to lose out a lot. And plus, we're taking in this whole community of refugees. We're not just taking you in. We have to take in everybody from Mecca. What do we get in return? Prophet ﷺ, did he say to them, one day you're going to have a really nice masjid and a great city and an amazing tourist destination lights, a great airport, people will visit you, you have a legacy ahead of you, you will go down in the books with great biographies, and from this city, you know, it will become the headquarters of this huge empire throughout the world. Did the Prophet say any of that to them? What was the one thing he said to them? He said, you get Jannah, paradise. That's all I'm promising you. You don't get any other promise. Paradise. You're not doing this for, this for worldly reasons, and so you're not seeking a worldly reward, so there's no point to even mention the worldly reward to you. So you're doing this for what? Paradise. You get paradise. 
And what did they say? That's a profitable transaction. We'll take it. Deal. We will take you in. We will follow you. We will support you. We'll give you our all. And the only thing we seek from you is nothing of this world. SubhanAllah, there's something about these people. And it's actually very interesting because I want you to imagine now the setup in Medina, which was called Yathrib. Yathrib has these two tribes known as Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj. Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj, which will make up the two tribes of the Ansar, Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj are actually the names of two children of a man from Yemen by the name of Haritha ibn Tha'laba. Haritha ibn Tha'laba. So they're originally Yemeni, and they settled in that area. And these two tribes have almost exterminated one another, and the sub-tribes as well. Do you ever notice that sometimes the poorest and most devastated communities have the worst tribalism within? SubhanAllah. They're about to wipe themselves off of the earth. So what did Yathrib look like? The description of it is that it was 46 encampments. It's like military bases. And the chiefs of them have all killed each other off, and so there aren't many elders left in Yathrib anymore. In the meantime, you have Jewish tribes that have come and settled the area because they believe in a prophecy of a prophet that is soon to arise there. And so they're coming there, they've settled there, and then these two tribes have basically wiped each other off the face of the planet, not just Yathrib, and now they are uniting around the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And SubhanAllah, one of the most insightful narrations that I found about the Ansar is from Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Listen to what she says. She says, Kana yawmu bu'ath. Yawmu bu'ath, the day of bu'ath refers to the war between the heads of the Aws and Khazraj that killed off all of the elders. She said, Kana yawmu bu'ath, yawman qaddamahu Allahu li rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It was a day that Allah gave to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It was a day that Allah gave to the Prophet Why did she say that? She said, because as a result of that, the people were divided, their chiefs had been killed, every single one of them, jurihu, they had wounds on them, they were tired, they were exhausted from war, and so, فَقَدَّمَهُ اللَّهُ لِرَسُولِهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ فِي دُخُولِهِمْ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ Allah presented that to the Prophet because he made that region ripe for Islam. What does that mean? These people were a humbled people. They were a humbled people. They weren't proud. The pride had literally been beaten out of them through the wars that they'd been through. They were sick of it. They were tired of it. At this point, they were just fighting because they were inheriting the nonsense of their fathers. They didn't want to fight anymore. They didn't want to kill each other anymore. They saw the impact of it. And because they were a humbled people, they could accept the Prophet ﷺ, whereas the people of Mecca were a proud people, were a people who felt like they were invincible, who felt like they had the wealth, they had the centrality of the Arab world, that they had everything that they needed, and so they were unable to accept anything that they saw as a challenge to their dunya, to their worldly affairs. The people in Yathrib are like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> There's nothing left of this dunya anyway. You know, what's le- what, what sweetness is there in this world, in this material world, if all we do is fight and it's just war and it's just death and it's just famine and it's just all of the impacts of battle. And so they were a humbled people. Plus they were young. They were young. If you look at the Meccan period, 
the opposition to the Prophet came primarily from the elders, right? Who drove that opposition out of this insistence on the way of their forefathers. These people were young, they were willing to accept a change from the Prophet Now I move now to Sahih al-Bukhari. Sahih al-Bukhari, you have a chapter on Manaqib al-Ansar, Kitab Manaqib al-Ansar, the book of the virtues of the Ansar. But even before that, in the very beginning, in Kitab al-Iman, in the book of faith, there's the subchapter, Bab Halawat al-Iman, the chapter, chapter number nine, the sweetness of faith. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates, and Anas radiallahu anhu, is he from the Muhajirin or the Ansar? Is he from the people of Mecca or the people of Medina? Ansari. Anas radiallahu anhu is from the Ansar. Al-Bukhari knows what he's doing, which narrator of the hadith he's choosing here as he's putting this together. So Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Thalathun, man kunna fihi wajada halawat al-iman. That there are three qualities. If a person has these three qualities, then they have tasted the sweetness of faith. أَنْ يَكُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولُهُ أَحَبَّ إِلَيْهِ مِمَّا سِوَاهُمَا That Allah and His Messenger وسلم, are more beloved to them than anyone or anything else. Their love of Allah and their love of the Messenger وسلم, completely overwhelms them to a point that they love their Lord and the messenger of their Lord more than anyone or anything else. And the second thing, And that they love people and they only love them for Allah. They love people and they don't love them for any material gain. They don't love them for anything that they have to offer them except for Allah. They love that person for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the, and, and the third one, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَأَنْ يَكْرَهَ أَنْ يَعُودَ فِي الْكُفْرِ كَمَا يَكْرَهُ أَنْ يُقْلَفَ فِي النَّارِ The Prophet sallallahu said, and they would hate to revert back to their ways, their old ways of disbelief, the way that a person would hate to be thrown into the fire. Like they, not only do they have such a love for Allah and for His Messenger sallallahu they are completely averse. They do not want to go back to their old ways. Now the very next subchapter, Al-Bukhari uses this to proceed, Bab Alamatul Imani Hubbul Ansar. The chapter, subchapter, that to love the Ansar is a sign of faith. To love the Ansar is a sign of faith. And the scholars say that what Al-Bukhari is implying by this placement here is something very profound. That there is no one who matches this, this hadith of Halawatul Iman of tasting the sweetness of faith like the Ansar. Because their love of Allah and the Messenger quickly surpassed everything else. And they loved who? Just for Allah. They loved the Messenger of Allah, not because of the Prophet's eloquence, not because he was Meccan, not because of his genius, not because of his appearance, not because of his mannerisms. They loved him because they understood that he was sent by Allah. And they loved those that came with the Prophet ﷺ because they understood that Allah, who they love, and the Messenger, who they love, have ordered them to love them. So they loved the refugees as well. They loved the Muhajireen as well. And they loved them deeply. And there is no way these people are ever going to go back on their ways. They have no interest whatsoever in reconsidering. And subhanAllah, look what happens in Medina. I mean, over the rest of the, the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, the instigating, the hardships, the trials, Uhud happens, right? Tabuk happens. 
all of these, all of these external forces to try to pull the Ansar away from the Prophet and it keeps on failing. They are not interested in going back to their old ways. And so these are the people, if you want to see what a community looks like that has tasted halawatul iman, the sweetness of faith, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those that taste the sweetness of faith. Allahumma ameen. You look at the community of the Ansar. Because they as a community tasted halawatul iman in a way that made them so beautiful. And such an example, a manifestation of a community. And so that's why the very next hadith, the hadith of Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu once again, the Prophet said, Ayatul Imani, Hubbul Ansar, wa Ayatul Nifaqi, Bughdul Ansar. A sign of faith in a person is that they love the Ansar. A sign of hypocrisy is that they don't like the Ansar. And so if you, if you have a lot of Iman and you hear about the Ansar, you feel the Ansar, you go to Medina, you, 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 can, you can smell the impact of the Ansar, you, you taste it. It's all around you. That's a sign of Iman. Your heart is beating with faith. You love them. You hear about them. You, and you pray for them. You make dua for them. You care about them. You want to be like them. So your love of the Ansar is a sign of faith. Sirat al-ladheena an'amta alayhim. People that, you are, that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with. And so you love them because of Allah anhum. And of course this is true for all of the companions of the Prophet But here the Prophet Specified the Ansar. Why? Can anyone tell me why? Why would, why would you love the Ansar so much? Why would you love the Ansar so much? We've been away from the first for too long. Y'all don't answer questions quick enough anymore. Why do we love the Ansar? Why should we love the Ansar? Because the Prophet some loved them. True. Very true. There's a specific thing though that I'm looking for which is along the same lines. In another hadith in Abu Nu'im, the Prophet said, whoever loves the Ansar, man ahab al-Ansar, whoever loves the Ansar, loves them because of their love of the Prophet If you think about the most beloved person in the world to you, and let's say that you, you take your child, or you take someone that you really, really love, and you send them off somewhere, and this group of people take them in, help them out, give them everything that they need to survive and succeed, give them the emotional support that they need, give them the financial support that they need, protect them from harm, do all of those things. Aren't you going to love those people even if you've never met them? Like you just hear about them and those people, that family took care of my brother, that family took care of my sister, that family took care of my daughter, that family took care of my son. I love that family. They did everything for, for someone that's beloved to me. And when I meet them, I'm just going to hug them and cry and embrace them and give them everything that I possibly can. I can never repay you. Who are you people, right? The ikram, the generosity that you showed. And so you know how desperate your Prophet was. And if you love the Prophet reading Ta'if hurts. It really hurts. Reading about that humiliation hurts. And so those people that Allah sent to him, that loved him in a way that he had not been loved before, that took him in and supported him in ways that surpassed even the Prophet expectations. I mean, they would make the Prophet laugh because of their love for him. It was extraordinary. It was unbelievable. And it was before he even met them. When he comes to Medina, they're already out in the trees waiting for him for months in the hot sun, singing for him, waiting for him, praying for him. They can't wait to see him. They've never even seen him. And they're ready to give everything for him, sallallahu alayhi wa So as a believer, I love the Ansar. 
Jazakum Allahu Anna Khaira. May Allah reward you all for taking care of our Messenger. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Because when we read those stories, we wish we could go back in time and we could protect him. Now we don't know for a fact that our faith would, would have been strong enough, that we would have been on the right side and we would have been amongst those protecting him. But when we read those stories, Ya Allah, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could help my Prophet. I wish I could be there to support him. I wish I could hug him. I wish I could support him. I wish I could protect him. Here are the people that did so. So the Prophet said, you love them for their love of me. You love them for their love of me. And a sign of hypocrisy is that you, that you dislike them. And of course the hypocrites, they disliked them. They didn't understand it. It was like, what is wrong with these people? Why, why, why are you getting all crazy about this man? Why are you gathering around this man? Because in reality, they wanted to be loved the way that the Ansar loved the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there are multiple narration. Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawm al-akhir. One narration, whoever believes in Allah in the last day, then he loves the Ansar, does not hate the Ansar. Multiple narrations, to love them is Iman, to hate them is hypocrisy. Now, who named them the Ansar? The Ansar, of course, means the helpers. What a beautiful name to have. They're the supporters. They're the, they are the helpers of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ghilan ibn Jarir, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Qala qultu li Anas, I asked Anas ibn Malik, radiallahu anhu, Ara'ayta isma al-Ansar, kuntum tusammawna bihi am sammakumullah. He said, this name the Ansar that you have, did you name yourselves the Ansar? Was that like a rallying call or did Allah name you that? And Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, bal samman Allah, rather Allah named us the Ansar. Allah called us the Ansar. And subhanAllah, some of the scholars point out that the Prophet when he saw the 12 that came to him, he likened them in one narration to the disciples of Jesus, peace be upon him, the Hawariyin, who supported Isa the 12 disciples. He likened them to them. And what is the last thing as Isa is facing the difficulty of this world? Isa is having السلام, a very Ta'if like moment, isn't he? Right? His people have turned on him. His own people have turned on him. His enemies have turned on him. The Romans and the Israelites, the tribes, everyone around him has turned on him and he's got a handful of supporters and Isa is calling out to Allah. And what does he say? Man ansari ilallah. Where are my ansar? <laughs> Where are my ansar? Qala al-hawariyun, nahnu ansarullah. And the disciples said, we are your ansar. We are the Ansar. We are the ones that will support you in Allah's cause. So the Prophet is praising this small group of people that are his Ansar. Because Isa السلام, as he was being lifted from this world, Isa السلام, looked around and said, where are my Ansar? And the Prophet and Ta'if said, Ilam antakiruni, who am I being left to? And so you have the Ansar. The scholars mention, and there's the hadith where the Prophet وسلم, the greatest praise that the Prophet وسلم, could give to the Ansar was not just his love for them وسلم, the Prophet وسلم, said, Abu Hurairah narrates, The Prophet وسلم, said, if the Ansar took a direction, if they went to a mountain or a valley, wherever they went, I would follow the Ansar through that valley. And the Prophet said, if it wasn't for Hijrah, the fact that I am by my nature a refugee, a migrant from the Muhajireen, I would have certainly been from the Ansar. I would have called myself an Ansari. There is no group that I would have loved to belong to like this group 
of the Ansar. Abu Huraira, who narrates this, is Abu Huraira one of the Muhajirin or the Ansar? He's from where? Abu Huraira is actually from Yemen. But he's not technically from the Ansar. He resembles the Muhajirin because he came from a different place. But he didn't come from Mecca. He came with Tufayl radiallahu ta'ala anhu and embraced Islam from afar, right? And joined him from uh, the tribe of Dos. So he's not really the Ansar or the Muhajirin, right? He's, he's not in either of those categories in an exclusive sense. So Abu Huraira, as he's narrating this hadith, Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Ma zalama bi abi wa ummi. He said that the Prophet was not unjust by this saying that I wish I could be from the Ansar. Which, of course, if you're not an Ansar and you heard the Prophet say that, you're like, wow, that's high praise. I wish I could be from the Ansar. He said, you know, the Prophet was not wronging the rest of us by saying that, they supported the Prophet. They took him in, they sheltered him, and they helped him. So they deserve to have that praise from the Prophet. Now, what is the characteristic of the, of the Ansar? That is, that is praised by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are uh, uh, multiple وَالَّذِينَ تَبَوَّأُ الدَّارَ وَالْإِيمَانَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَا يَجِدُونَ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ حَاجَةٍ مِمَّا أُوتُوا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those, those Ansar that took in the Muhajireen, they loved them they loved those that migrated to them SubhanAllah, we live in a world where the refugee crisis is more uh, is more defined. I mean, you, you see the scenes and the hatred that is developed for them because they are always looked at as people who are coming to take our stuff, to take our resources. And so in Muslim countries, they shut the borders on other Muslim refugees. And if they come in, then there's a, a, a resentment that develops. They're taking the jobs. They're willing to work for less. The hatred that starts to develop. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about these people, the Ansar, يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ They actually loved those people. The Muhajireen, and I want you to think about this, they just left their parents, their siblings, and in some cases their spouses and children, spitting on them, trying to murder them and doing all these things, and now they're celebrities. <laughs> I mean, they come to Medina as celebrities. In Yathrib, you have all these strangers, they're like, you come here, you come here, they're trying to take them in. Come to my house, come to my house. And it's like, wait, what's happening here, right? You hibbuna, and it wasn't staged, it wasn't fake. It was, come to our house, come to our house. Do you want something to drink? Do you want something to eat? Are you thirsty? you need shelter? I mean, they're going out of their way to take care of them and to show them that love. And you know what? There's nothing in their hearts. It's not, it's not like this is just something that they're forced to do. Their hearts are full because they've tasted what? Halawat al-Iman. They've tasted the sweetness of faith. So their hearts are full of love for the people of Iman. And so you have the individual stories. We talked about Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Sa'd ibn Rabi'i radiallahu anhu. Abdurrahman ibn Awf goes to the house of Sa'd ibn Rabi'i and Sa'd ibn Rabi'i says, take half of everything. <laughs> All of it. And take the better half of everything. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf, I mean I'm paraphrasing, we remember the story. He's embarrassed. I mean, he's a proud man. He, not, not, in a, not in a bad way. I mean, he worked. He was a, a, a well-off merchant in Mecca. He knew how... I don't need this. It's okay. May Allah bless you. May Allah bless your family. May Allah bless your wealth. But just show me to the marketplace. I'm okay. And as the Prophet made mu'akha, as he paired off the families, like they didn't put the muhajireen in the basements in the, of course, theoretical sense, right? Or in the conceptual sense. They gave them the better part of the house. 
and they gave them the better part of their food. Sometimes they went hungry while their guests ate. And this was a characteristic. This was something they took pride in. And sometimes it's short-lived, right? It's just at some point you're going to get sick of this. No, they're not getting sick of it. This is something that continues with them at all time. Uh, Abu Hurairah says that when the Prophet came with the Muhajireen, they said, They said, Ya Rasulullah, uh, take our palm trees, give them half of our palm trees, and leave us half. And the Prophet is saying, no, that's too much. <laughs> no, no, like half and half? No, you don't have to give half of your palm trees to them, because they were an agricultural people, right? You're taking them in, you're providing for them. And they're arguing with the Prophet over what? They're saying, Ya Rasulullah, how about this? How about they then, uh, they, they do the labor in the gardens, meaning they, take, they, they care for the trees, but then they get to eat half of the, the crops. And the Prophet said, okay. <laughs> They're arguing with the Prophet to give more to the Muhajireen. These are an unbelievable people. And the Prophet has to temper that expectation. Now, love, of course, can lead to insanity in the negative sense, but love can also lead to profound ihsan and beauty and excellence. And when you love someone deeply, then you do the unexpected. You go above and beyond. You even do things for them that they would never ask. And so the Ansar start to do what? They start to take note. Ibn Hajar rahimahullah points this out. Started to follow the Prophet's habits to see what type of food he liked. So that they could give him that food. So if they saw the Prophet liked a particular type of date, they made sure to save their rutab from their farms and to give it to the Prophet If they saw the Prophet liked a particular type of cloth, they gave the Prophet that type of cloth for themselves. The Prophet likes this type of honey, let's give the Prophet this type of honey. They even to the point of what? <clears throat> they knew that the Prophet loved being in the house of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, so they would wait to send their gifts to the Prophet to when he was in the house of Aisha radiallahu anha. That's the extent of detail that they were paying attention to with the Prophet ﷺ to shower the Prophet ﷺ with their love. And so all the narrations about people that love each other for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what did the Prophet ﷺ mention? They come from faraway lands. Faraway lands. They have no they have no family ties. There's no tie of kinship. The only thing that 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 brings them together, that bonds them, is faith. And they love each other for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Ansar loved the Prophet ﷺ for Allah. And they would prove that through risk after risk, through gift after gift. يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ And the scholars say Allah could have described them with so many things. Allah could have described them with ikram, with their generosity. But Allah described them with love, with hub, that they loved those who migrated to them. And so pay attention now to all the times I'm going to mention hub, love. All right, because the story of the Ansar with the Prophet is indeed a story of love. It's a story of hub. The Prophet started to like to dress with the clothes of Yemen. And he said, Yemen, Iman is Yemeni, faith is Yemeni. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for our brothers and sisters in Yemen. May Allah liberate them and free them from those who bomb them, from those who oppress them, from those who harm them, from those who do not treat them with dignity. Allahumma ameen. From all directions, may Allah protect them. The Prophet loved Ahlul Yemen. And some of the scholars say he did that because that was the origin of the Ansar too. So it was a sign that he would, he would start to wear the clothes of them, the Yemeni clothes. And the Ansar saw that the Prophet was taking to their tastes as well. Also, when the Prophet made the dua, Allahumma ni as'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk. Oh Allah, I ask you for your love and the love of those who love you. 
the scholars say this is one of the greatest virtues of the Ansar. Because whether it's the love of the Prophet for them, or it is the love of Allah for them, for their love of the Prophet Man yuhibbuk is the Ansar. Right? Allah chose them because Allah loved them. And the Prophet was chosen by them because Allah loved them. And Allah loved the Prophet So Allah man yas'alaka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk. Oh Allah, I ask you for your love and the love of those who love you. And guess what the Prophet said? He said, man ahabbahum faqad ahabbani. Whoever loves them, loves me. You want to love me? You have to love the Ansar. And then you have these narrations, which I, I absolutely love these narrations, because the Prophet would just often just tell them that he loves them. You know, the Prophet said, when you love someone for Allah, you should tell them. There are numerous narrations where the Prophet simply says to them that I love you, O Ansar. And so this, the, you know, the, 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 the Sahaba narrate that the Prophet used to go out to them and he said, Marhaban bil Ansar, Marhaban bil Ansar, welcome to the Ansar, welcome to the Ansar. And you know the narration of Eid where the Prophet would go through the different routes? They said because the Prophet knew that the, for the Ansar it wasn't Eid unless they got to greet their Prophet. So he wanted to go to each one of their homes and see them and say salam to them because they loved him and he knew that. So he didn't just go to the Eid prayer and go home. He went around Medina, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and greeted them, marhaban bil ansar, marhaban bil ansar. And Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that one time the Prophet sallallahu saw the women and the children of the ansar, and the Prophet sallallahu stood up and he said, Allahumma antum min ahabbin nasi ilayya. Allah, he said it three times, oh, well, by Allah, you are from the most beloved of people to me. I love you people so much. Like the Prophet is expressing it to them as a group. In another narration, Anas says an Ansari woman came accompanied by one of her children and the Prophet spoke to her and after the Prophet finished speaking to her, meaning it's just a normal conversation. He says, So I swear by the one in whose hand is my soul, you are the most beloved people to me. I love the Ansar. If only the Ansar knew how much I love them. And you think the Ansar got sick of the Prophet telling them that he loved them? <laughs> Never. Right? It was an affirmation each time. You also see the Prophet's dua for them, his supplication for them. Anas ibn Malik says, and this speaks to a trend. The Prophet particularly felt bad when the Ansar suffered casualties in war. He hated it. He really hated it that the Ansar would suffer casualties in war. And this is from his husn al-akhlaq, his husn al-khuluq, his good character, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would say, it's not fair. These people took us in, they, you know, they, prom- they gave us all their generosity, and now they're being killed. He hated to see that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So in Badr, they didn't technically have to fight alongside the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They chose to be there with the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? This is on the outskirts. This is still a skirmish with the people of Mecca. They chose to be there. And then in Uhud, you know, the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, making the rukhsa, uh, and this is actually interesting because it connects our jurisprudence to something. When you go to Uhud, the graves are stacked in Uhud. They're all buried in this one area. Some of the scholars say because the Prophet saw them getting ready to carry their dead bodies back to Medina. Right? And so this was a rukhsa for them to bury them in one, you know, in, 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 in this mass grave to make it easier for them. And of course, the shaheed is buried where he is killed. But the scholars say the Prophet. He, he had this, this hanan for them, 
this, this grief for them when they suffered for him. And so there comes Khandaq now, and Medina is on the brink of, you know, annihilation. All the tribes are coming from all over, and they literally build a Khandaq, they build the trench around themselves to protect themselves from being completely wiped out. Men, women, and children. Those people that were coming did not have the intention of just killing them, they were going to kill all of them. Wipe out Medina once and for all. This was, this was their version of nuking Medina. Right? We're going to come and we're going to completely wipe them all out. And the Prophet ﷺ and the, and the companions, they build the trench to try to protect themselves from the onslaught at the suggestion of Salman al-Farisi, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Salman the Persian. And as they do that, when the Prophet ﷺ is in the ditch with the Ansar, and the hypocrites are calling out to the Ansar and saying that, look what he gave you, the Prophet, you know, this Prophet of yours has ruined your lives, he's given you nothing but delusion. You know what the Ansar were doing? They were singing. <laughs> they were singing poetry. We are the ones who gave bay'ah to the Prophet We are the ones who have pledged to be with him until the very end. We are the ones. I mean, they're singing and you have multiple narrations about their, their, their dedication to the Prophet and they're covered in mud and they've got their axes and they're trying to you know, uh, build this trench out. And the Prophet looks at them and they're starving. They're running out of food and drink. And the Prophet says, Allahumma la aisha illa aisha al-akhirah. Oh Allah, there is no life except for the life of the hereafter. These young people that gave up everything. Oh Allah, there is no life except for the life of the hereafter. Three narrations. فَأَكْرِمِ الْأَنصَارَ وَالْمُهَاجِرَ So be generous to the Ansar and to the Muhajira, to the people of Medina and the people of Mecca. Another narration. فَأَصْلِحِ الْأَنصَارَ وَالْمُهَاجِرَ So rectify all of the affairs of the Ansar and the Muhajireen. And of course, فَاغْفِرْ لِلْأَنصَارَ وَالْمُهَاجِرَ Forgive the Ansar and the Muhajira. So the Prophet is looking at them and all that they gave up for him. And the Prophet his heart, I mean imagine the dua of the Prophet how sincere, and his dua was always sincere but the sincerity of that dua, the love of that dua as he's seeing these people literally you know, ready to die but reaffirming their love to the Prophet in the process. And he's making dua for them. All of that of course leads up to what? the incident after Fatah Mecca. The Prophet was desperate. The Prophet needed help. He got his help. Now he's gone back to Mecca. Now the Prophet is victorious. Who doesn't want to come home and reestablish himself at home? Mecca is Muslim now. The Prophet old enemies are now his allies. They're fighting alongside him his act of generosity and kindness to them in amnesty has been reciprocated with loyalty for the most part from the people of Mecca. The Prophet could set himself up in Mecca. Jazakumullah khairan, O people of Medina, I will visit you soon. Right? I'll come visit you soon. SubhanAllah, Fatah Mecca happens. Immediately afterwards, Hunayn happens. The Ansar are so nervous. They don't know what the Prophet is going to do. And they have too much modesty, too much shyness with him to ask him, are you coming back or are you staying here? The place of Khadija radiallahu anha. The place of your, your upbringing. The Prophet spent his whole life there. And he loved Mecca. And he said, if, if, if your people did not run me out, I would have never left you. So is he going to stay there? 
And then the Prophet fights alongside those people in Hunayn. And he starts to distribute the spoils of war. And the spoils are not just going to people of Mecca. They're going to the recent converts of Mecca. They are so afraid of what this means. I mean, we took him in. We loved him. We still believe in him. They, they were not contemplating irtidat. Like, they were not contemplating apostasy. They were hurt. They were concerned. They were worried. And so they start to talk amongst themselves. And some of them even say, غفر الله لنبي الله. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive the Messenger of Allah. Like, may Allah forgive him for, for forgetting about us. And he gives them and he leaves us. And our swords are still covered with blood. We've lost our family members. We don't know what's going to happen. They're afraid. What's the indication here? So Sa'id ibn Ubadah, he comes to the Prophet and he says, Ya Rasulullah, the Ansar are concerned. This is what they're saying. Rasulullah says, Ya Sa'id, what about you? Where are you at with all of this? He says, Ya Rasulullah, I'm a man of my people, meaning I kind of have the same feelings. I'm being very honest with you. We're afraid. We don't know what to make of this giving spoils to the new converts of Mecca. And of course, why was the Prophet doing that? Because their faith was weak. So they were afraid when they converted to Islam because they rejected the Prophet for 20 years over worldly reasons. So they were afraid that they were going to be humiliated and, and deficient if they accepted Islam. And so their hearts needed to be softened a bit. So that's the wisdom of it. But the Ansar, they kind of feel like they're left in the dark. So the Prophet says to Sa'ad, bring all the Ansar in one place and don't let anyone in the tent except for an Ansari. This is an exclusive gathering for the Ansar. Now the Prophet is just coming off of an exhausting battle. Hunayn was exhausting, absolutely exhausting. They were ambushed from multiple directions. These people tried everything on him, so he's exhausted. But he says to Sa'ad, get all of the Ansar in the tent. And I don't care how many times you read this narration, it's beautiful every single time. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Get them all in one place, no one else. So the Prophet ﷺ walks in, and the Ansar are crammed in. It's only them fitting in there, there's no space between them. All right? And it resembles very much so that first moment on the outskirts of Mecca where they first came to embrace the Prophet ﷺ 10 years before, but now some of those people are dead. And they've been through a lot. They've been through a lot for the Prophet And so the Prophet gathers them and they are looking at the Prophet and they're anxious about what he's going to say. Now, if you're one of them, you might be anticipating that this is the farewell speech. This is the Jazakumullah khaira, I'll never forget you. But, you know, it's time for me to go home. They're nervous. And in fact, the gathering itself was making them nervous. And the way the Prophet is going to start this gathering also makes them nervous. He says, Ya Ma'ashar al Ansar, O Ansar, Ma qalatun balagatni ankum. What am I hearing about you? What are these words that are being narrated to me? Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Wa kanu la yakribun. SubhanAllah, he's still praising them. He says, You know, the Ansar were incapable of lying. They didn't know how to lie. They could have easily said, Oh, nothing. We're just talking, you know. We love you, Ya Rasulullah. We just wanted to make sure you were okay and we just wanted to let you know that we have your back and we will support you. Jannah, all of that, right? But they're hurt. 
and they couldn't lie. They were, you know, a, a bad liar, it shows in their face. <laughs> you know? they, they just couldn't say anything. They, so they, they expressed their hurt. And the Prophet says, Ya Ma'ashar al Ansar, Alam atikum dullala fahadakumullahu bi. Oh Ansar, didn't I come to you and you were lost, misguided, and Allah guided you through me? Wa'ala fahadakumullahu bi. You were needy, you had nothing, and Allah gave you wealth through me. Allah gave you independence through me. Wa'ada'an fa'allaf Allahu bayna qulubikum. And you were enemies to one another. Allah united your hearts through me. So they responded and they said that Allah and His Rasul amannu wa afdal. Allah wa Rasulu amannu wa afdal. Like, yes, Allah and His Messenger وسلم, have every right upon us, every right to mention their favor upon us. You're right, Ya Rasulullah. We were nothing before you came to us. We were warring tribes. Our fathers killed each other off. We were nobodies. And now they're coming and they have hundreds of thousands of people coming from around the world to try to live in the city of Medina that is full of light, the light of the Prophet you, you built us. You made us who we are. We were nothing without you, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet says, Ala Wouldn't, Aren't you going to say something back to me? I'm like, what do you mean? And they say, what are we going to respond to you, O Messenger of Allah? Allah and the Messenger have every right to mention the favors upon us. We have nothing to say back to you. The Prophet said, The Prophet said, I swear by Allah, you could have responded to me and you would be telling the truth and you would be acknowledged in your truth-telling. You could say back to me, You came to us belied, You came to us and people called you a liar. And we believed in you. We considered you to be truthful. You could have said to us, the Prophet is saying, you could say to me, you came to us. Mukaddab means people called you a liar and we said you're truthful. Your own family said this about you. The people around you said this. We said you are truthful. You came to us in need and we gave you everything. You came to us seeking allies and we gave you our heart and soul. We gave you everything, Ya Rasulullah, to fight back, to give you the support that you needed. And the Prophet is telling them, you could also mention your favors upon me and I'm not going to deny it. But they're too shy. So they don't say anything to the Prophet Rasulullah mentions that. And they simply acknowledge it. And the Prophet says to them finally, Aren't you pleased, O Ansar, that the people will go back with their sheep and with their animals and with their spoils? And you get to go home, and Rasulullah is amongst you. Ya Allah. Imagine being in that room. Imagine being in that room. Over 10 years of giving all for him. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And now worried that he's going to leave you. This is it. And the Prophet basically told them, I'm coming home with you. 
They stand up and they are in such joy. And they say, We are pleased with the Prophet as our share. We're pleased with the Prophet as our share. We're pleased with the Prophet as our share. That's all we wanted, Ya Rasulullah. Forget about the, the animals, forget about the spoils. We just wanted you to come home with us. That's it. And the Prophet says, Allahumma arham al-ansar wa abna al-ansar wa abna abna al-ansar Oh Allah, have mercy on the ansar and the children of the ansar and the children of the children of the ansar فَبَكَ الْقَوْمُ And everyone started to cry The entire room started to cry until their beards were wet, were soaked with tears knowing that Rasulullah was coming home with them All they wanted was Jannah and all they wanted was the companionship of the Prophet And so imagine being when the Ansar or amongst the Ansar when they ask Allah for Jannah al-Firdaus. Literally, they took the Prophet in not knowing anything except that we're going to take in this man we don't know yet for Jannah. And in a decade, they fell in love with the Prophet and put everything on the line for him. And now all they want is Jannah with the Prophet and the Prophet prayed for them and prayed for their offspring and prayed for the offspring of their offspring. In one narration, the Ansar said, Ya Rasulullah, we followed you. So make dua for those that follow us. And the Prophet said, Allahumma ja'al atba'ahum minhum. Oh Allah, make the followers of them like them. Bless their offspring, bless their followers. And you know what, subhanAllah, the Ansar never changed. They never changed. They didn't ch- it's not like they were affected now by the victory of Islam. They never changed. Yahya bin Sa'id, he narrates that Anas ibn Malik anhu said that the Prophet called the Ansar in order to give them the territory of Bahrain. So he's putting them in charge, giving them a leadership position. He's giving them these new areas under Islam. And you know what they responded? They said, إِلَّا only if the muhajirin get the same thing, Ya Rasulullah. <laughs> They're still caring about the muhajirin. It's no longer, the dynamics have changed here. But to the Ansar, no, no, our brothers, they need to be taken care of as well. So if they're going to be given something like that, then we're okay. But otherwise, we don't need leadership, Ya Rasulullah. We don't need power. We're okay without power. We're okay just being the Ansar. We want to be the helpers in the background. And the Prophet said, Prophet said, if that's going to be your attitude, be patient until you meet me. Another narration, Athra. The Prophet said, after me, you're going to find people that will give preference, privilege to other than you. You're going to be left behind because of your selflessness. You're not going to have these positions of power because of your selflessness. And so that's why the Prophet says to them multiple times, فَاصْبِرُوا حَتَّى تَلْقَوْنِي عَلَى الْحَوْضِ Be patient until you meet me once again at the Hawd. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that position. The Hawd is of course the fountain of the Prophet on the Day of Judgment. So be patient, O Ansar, until you're gathered back with me then because you're going to be left behind in some of these leadership positions and things of that sort. I want to finish this off with a few of these ahadith, the Prophet comes back to Medina. Anas ibn Malik says that in the last days of the Prophet Abu Bakr and Al-Abbas passed by one of the gatherings of the Ansar and they were all weeping. 
So Abu Bakr and Abbas said to them, why are you weeping? And they said, we're weeping because we're remembering the gathering. The karna majlis and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam minna. We remembered the Prophet sallallahu amongst us. And so we started to cry. So Abu Bakr went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi He told him about it. So the Prophet came out and he could barely move at that point sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he put a, a cloth on his head because of his fever sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he ascended onto the minbar, onto the pulpit. وَلَمْ يَصْعَدْهُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمِ And that was the last time the Prophet stands on this pulpit. فَحَمِدَ اللَّهُ وَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ So he praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he extolled him and he said أُوصِيكُمْ بِالْأَنصَارِ أُوصِيكُمْ بِالْأَنصَارِ I request you to please take care of my ansar. And he says that they are amongst those فَإِنَّهُمْ كَرِسِي وَعِيبَتِي and what that means is, uh, they are my close companions who I used to tell my secrets to. These were people that were like family to me. The Ansar were my close ones that I used to share my closest secrets with. And he says, وَقَدْ قَضَوْ الَّذِي عَلَيْهِمْ And they have fulfilled that which was upon them. They fulfilled their obligations, they exceeded them. وَبَقِيَ الَّذِي لَهُمْ And everything that still belongs to them of a favor still remains for them. فَاقْبَلُوا مِنْ مُحْسِنِهِمْ وَتَجَاوَزُوا عَنْ مُسِيئِهِمْ so, Accept the good of the good doers amongst them and forgive some of the wrongdoings that might exist amongst them. And in one narration, the Prophet said, The people will continue to grow, but the Ansar will be a smaller and smaller and dwindling number until they become just like salt in a meal. They're, they're not detectable, they're just in the background. And by the way, subhanAllah, the scholars mention here, you know, in Medina, it didn't take long. For Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu to be elected the Khalifa and for the Ansar to get on board and to follow suit. This was their town, this was their city. If there was going to be a rebellion, you would have expected it from them, right? Like, wait, this is our turn now. It's our turn to take this over. Quickly, subhanAllah, it took one visit. Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Abu, Abu Ubaidah, may Allah be pleased with them all, to solve it. And that was it. They gathered. Under the leadership of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq they immediately, immediately continued to fulfill that role. And that was because of the lack of the love of dunya inside of them. And so here's my final conclusion as we make dua for the Ansar. It's a question for you all. Who's better than the Ansar or the Muhajireen? <laughs> I'm going to drink water while you all try to figure out how to answer that question. Abu Amr, you're thinking about it. Who's better? Al-Ansar or Al-Muhajirin? I mean, one of you could just say Al-Ansar or Al-Muhajirin. No comparison? The same? What do you think? They never changed. True, but you're getting deeper. Going a little further. So we have a vote for the Ansar. Everything that I have just said, as a group, the Muhajireen remain superior. As a group. 
as a group of people, the Muhajirin remain superior, but of course, some of the individual Ansar are better than some of the individual Muhajirin. What is the proof of that? The ulama mentioned, first of all, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always mentions the Muhajirin first. لَقَدْ تَابَ اللَّهُ عَلَى Allah has certainly turned in mercy to the Prophet, then the Muhajireen, then the Ansar who stood by him in the time of hardship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, Allah says, and the poor migrants, the muhajireen, who were evicted from their homes and lost all of their wealth, seeking Allah's pleasure, and yansurun Allah, they supported Allah and His Messenger Verily, they are the truthful. And so the scholars mention Allah combined for those muhajireen, whether they were the Abu Bakrs of the world or the Bilals of the world or the uh, you know, Um Aymans of the world, that these people were still, as a category, the best of the best. Because they were evicted from their homes and they supported Allah. So Allah athbata lahum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lahum al-hijrah wa nusra Allah wrote for them both the reward of the hijrah as well as, as well as the supporting of the Prophet So that's the praise of them in this regard. Those people that were evicted from their homes, persecuted, killed in this way, that they still have a certain category, right? That the muhajireen still have a certain category and they prove their sitq, their truthfulness to the Prophet ﷺ in those multiple ways. Then Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ تَبَوَّأُ الدَّارَ وَالْإِيمَانَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ يُحِبُّونَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَا يَجِدُونَ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ حَاجَةٍ مِمَّا أُوتُوا وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصًا and then Allah mentions, and those who had settled in the land and adopted the faith, they love those who migrated towards them, and they find no, nothing in their chest, nothing in their hearts for what has been brought to them, and they give priority over themselves, even if they themselves are needy. And whoever is protected from shuha nafsihi, from the stinginess of his soul, then verily they are amongst the successful. SubhanAllah, if you notice here, Allah praised the Ansar for their shukur, for their gratitude in their times of ease. They technically didn't have to incur the headache. So they were praised for their selflessness, their ithar in shukur, in gratitude. The muhajireen were praised for their sabr, for their patience with all that they endured at those times. And we have one category left for us. Anyone know the rest of the ayah? وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ Allah mentions السَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ The first, the first amongst the muhajireen, amongst those people, those migrants, those blessed people, the Khadijas, the Sumayyas, Abu Bakrs, the Umars, those blessed people. And then Allah mentions Ansar and the Ansar. Can we be from the muhajireen? We can't be. Can we be from the Ansar? We can't be. And so there's only one more category left for us. وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ And those who follow them in those excellent qualities. Those who follow them in their excellent qualities. رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ وَأَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ That Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah. And Allah has promised them a paradise from beneath which rivers flow. And uh, they will reside therein forever. And that is the great success. 
I end with the ayah, وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا بِالْإِيمَانِ وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah mentioned one of the praiseworthy characteristics about the Ansar is that they actually used to pray for the Muhajireen. They would make dua for the Muhajireen. <laughs> like it's, their love for the Muhajireen was beautiful. They used to seek, make dua for them. They used to ask Allah to forgive them for preceding them in faith. And they didn't have ghil, any hardship, any ill feelings in their heart towards their brothers or their sisters. And so the scholars mentioned one of the, the, the constants here is that you don't have any, any ill feelings, any ill will towards your brothers and sisters. Past, present, or future. You make dua for them. And so, again, the Ansar are this supreme love story with the Prophet وَكُلًّا وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الْحُسْنَى And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised everyone their individual reward. حُبُّ الْأَنصَارِ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ Loving the Ansar is from Iman. Oh Allah, we bear witness to you. And if we are not fully living up to this, we ask you to make this true of us. Ya Allah, we bear witness that we love the Ansar. Ya Allah, we bear witness that we love the Ansar and we love our Prophet ﷺ and we love the Ansar for the love that they had towards our Prophet ﷺ and that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us amongst those that love him, that are beloved to him, that love those who love him and that are beloved to those that love him. And we ask Allah to gather us with the Prophet ﷺ and our brothers and sisters that preceded us. Allahumma ameen. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.